Chris noticed that took a little trip, made it over to Boston, saw some sights, it looks like. Oh, yeah, Reed. I went through the Freedom Trail, which is a very famous uh, path through you know the old historic sites of Boston. It was really awesome. Anything exciting? Anything you didn't expect? It's interesting. You walk through all of these historic places, the church, right, where Paul Revere put the the lights up. One if by land, two if by sea. Even the burial grounds for like Sam Adams, etc. were kind of embedded into Boston proper, the old corner bookstore, one of the first booksellers in Boston area, now at Chipotle. <laughs> the State House, where the Declaration of Independence was read to the colonials, and it also was the site of the Boston Massacre, a really famous site. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now a subway stop. And then my most favorite one is the actual Boston Latin School. It's no longer there, but a famous place because Benjamin Franklin actually attended Boston Latin School, now a Ruth's Chris Steakhouse. Both very meaningful to our country. Welcome to Touchpoint, a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and patient engagement strategies for hospitals, health systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into digital tools, solutions, and strategies that are impacting our industry today. We hope to share a lot of great information with you and have fun along the way. Thanks for joining us. Now, here are your hosts. Welcome back to Touchpoint, episode number 237. 237 episodes. I am Reed Smith. That is Chris Boyer. Yeah, I'm back from Boston, back in Minnesota. But, you know, regardless of where you go, it's still hot out, isn't it? It is warm. It is very warm. I'm ready to kind of get into fall. This is the time of year, you know, football season starts, things like that. It's just, it's a nice time of year that we're moving into. So anyway, that's neither here nor there, or maybe it is. I don't know. Thanks for checking in. Thanks for coming back for another episode of Touchpoint. We certainly appreciate the support. A couple of things. Go to touchpoint.health. That's the website and sign up for the TPS report. This is very topical based on the fact that this episode's about email, we're asking you to sign up for an email. Go there. You can check out all the other shows on the network, certainly, including past episodes of this very show you're listening to. But the TPS report, you'll notice it up in the top nav there. Click on that, sign up, and you will start receiving one email, one email per week. Comes out every Monday morning. It's like five articles to start your week. It's nothing uh, crazy intensive and just you know a few things to maybe get your mind kind of working on a Monday morning. A couple other things on there, links to conferences, things like that, that may be, may be useful to you. But again, sign up. We promise we won't spam you. We don't sell your information. This has nothing to do with third-party data or something like that. Um, I guess, is this first-party data? Is that what this is? We are collecting first-party data, yeah. Well, how about that? If we were smarter, we'd probably do something else with it, but we're, we're not. So we're just going to email you on Monday mornings with a few articles. So anyway, we'll pause for just a second while you go do that, and then we'll be back with uh, today's show. Chris, in today's digital age, your online reputation, as we all know, is crucial. With customers relying on online reviews, your first impression is also compared directly with your competitors. Sure is. And Reed, consider this. 86% of patients today read online reviews and 73% demand that that healthcare provider has a minimum four-star rating. Demand. They demand it. Yeah, they do. Well, to stand out, choose reputation to help amplify your brand and to build trust. Be the provider of choice in your area, 
understand patient sentiment, get actionable insights, and even foster patient loyalty. And look, here's the easy way you could do that. All you need to do is go visit reputation.com slash touchpoint. That's reputation.com slash touchpoint, where you can download their healthcare online reputation management guide and build a reputation that performs for you. Today, Reed, as you said, we're going to be talking about emails and how using emails is still a thing in health systems, but there's some changes afoot and some things that I think people need to be apprised of. Isn't that fair to say? Yeah, there is. And I, we're, you, you've kind of started digging into the you know types of emails and things like that, which we'll get to in a little bit. And then later on in the episode, I had a chance to sit down with uh, John and Jonathan Inman. Uh, he, he's got a long history, was with Kaiser and some of those types of things and digital roles, but has been with Salesforce for some time. And he was telling me a little bit about some of the changes that are coming based on a lot of the other things that we're seeing. I mentioned third-party cookies or data earlier. Well, this has to do with privacy as well. So we'll, we'll get to that here in a little bit. But I thought we'd kind of talk about email because I, in all honesty, I don't know, maybe it's the last year, year and a half. I keep saying year. For a while, I was saying the last six months, you know, and it was a year. Well, now I'm saying a year and it's been a year and a half or more. But I don't know. We've seen a little bit of a resurgence of email and the usefulness or the utility of email in recent years. Is that true? I will say that we've seen a resurgence of the use of emails. Uh, it's questionable, dubious, if they're relevant or not. I think that it depends on how you're, you're applying them. But for certainly there is sort of a doubling down on using email as a way to communicate within our health system, but also, you know, just in general. You found a, a great article from The Atlantic that we'll kind of dive into that talks about, you know, this very thing, you know, that we're, we're getting a lot of email. I mean, obviously the volume of email is not slowed down, but I liken this to, it's kind of a cyclical thing where no more direct mail. And then all of a sudden it's like, hey, we should do direct mail because nobody's doing direct mail anymore. <laughs> uh, no more email. Everybody's getting too much email. And then it's like, you know, what? we should try some drip marketing. <laughs> Turns out they're pretty good or whatever. So, you know, the headline, not to bury the lead here is, you know, if it's useful, then people will take and use that information. And that's why, you know, we hope that Monday morning email we send out, we kid about it a little bit, but we hope, hopefully that's useful. You know, hopefully those articles kind of spur some thoughts or some dialogue or something you can share around or report out on or something like that within your organizations. And so sometimes that's the best way to deliver content to a stakeholder, to an audience. Yeah, I think so too. I think you're right. And I am a subscriber, I guess by choice, I, I have to opt into all of these, to a number of emails from a, a number of different companies and different brands. And, you know, it's just interesting to even think about how subscribers are interacting with the emails. And I think that's probably first, we'll start our conversation first around that read. The technology writer over at The Atlantic, Ian Bogost is his name, he wrote an article recently that kind of drills into the perceptions of how email is being used and how they're actually being used. The article that we'll link to in the show notes is called, What Are Stores Even Thinking With All of These Emails? <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. I don't even... Here's the thing, too, and let me say this. I always have great intentions at some interval, right? Like if it's the beginning of a week or a month or a year or... I don't know, a season or something like that where I'm like, you know what? I need to spend a half hour and just unsubscribe from stuff mm -hmm. that I don't want anymore. I don't. It's just quicker to hit delete. Exactly. And so uh, <laughs> so I, I still, yeah, what are these companies thinking? And so this is, this is that article from The Atlantic that I mentioned a minute ago. 
you know, the premise here is that obviously companies, organizations, stores, storefronts, whatever, you know, they want you to buy their stuff. Well, that's their business model. They sell things in most cases. And an email is an easy and a predictable way to continue to get in front of you, at least over time. And so it's, I don't know, we spend a lot of time in email as individuals. So, I mean, I get that. Well, it's interesting. He even goes on to say that the whole concept of email marketing and the use of it involves layers of wonkily interpreting technology and unseen struggles for power and control in the email business. So um, let, let's dive into what he actually means by this article, because it kind of will, will provide some guidance for those of us in hospitals and health systems that are doing emails. He talks initially about, you know, he kind of sets the stage, right? That there, there are three real companies that power email for all practical purposes, at least for most Americans. Google or Gmail uh, is obviously an easy one to call out. And then you think about Microsoft, especially in the business sense with the Outlook product that uh, a lot of businesses and even businesses driven by Google or Gmail or, or G Suite or whatever they call it at this point, you will see any desktop Verizon as well. So the AOL, Yahoo Mail kind of a stuff. Occasionally, I still run across somebody that has a Hotmail account, Earthlink, or what were some of the other good ones? There's still the me.com. That's an Apple-based email system. Yeah, so me.com was it forever, and that's what mine is. But you know, they've kind of tried to at least migrate to iCloud.com. Both of them go the same place. They do the same thing. So you could use one or the other. But yeah, I mean, that's, a, that's another good one. The whole premise around these email platforms is they're tracking things about your email that they're reporting back to the business. So he, here's some things that he kind of outlines. Opening an email and clicking on a link inside might tell the softwares, that is uh, email softwares, algorithms, that you want more emails like that. You can also scroll through the body of an email and depending on the certain amount of time that you spend reading it in your inbox, not even opening it, that gives a certain intention that Outlook, Google, others are tracking about you. And then the last one is ignoring, or as you said, right, even start to junk them or just delete them or block the senders. Those are all things being tracked at those email platforms right now. And that information right there, Reed, is being actually sent back to the people that are sending the emails originally. And he goes on to talk about the fact that email is really one of the few ways that uh, any given organization, but you know, companies, especially they're trying to sell you things, can reach the consumer directly. It, it even says in here that overwhelmingly people continue to say that they, that's how they want to hear from, from brands. That leads you down this path of email marketers obsessing over the deliverability. You know, is the email address good? You know, you have soft bounces, hard bounces, things like that, which we don't really get into. Did it make it to the person? Did they open and look at it? You know, that's usually the first question. So that's where you get to that open rate. As a result, I love the way this guy writes. Your personal inbox, he says, gradually has become less like a mailbox and more like a wormhole into every business relationship you maintain. <laughs> it's it's your own digital commercial district opening up email is akin to like visiting a little mall in your browser or on your phone where every shop is right next to each other and a few years ago google made that metaphor more concrete by introducing the concept of a promotions folder instead of a spam folder so <laughs> that's an interesting nuance yeah, what does that mean 
Yeah. So, I mean, people, and, and they've gone a step further even. So you've kind of got your inbox in Gmail, you've got this promotions folder, you have the social folder or whatever they call it. And so it's like, you know, they're kind of recasting it as marketing. Well, that doesn't bode well for us to do marketing. <laughs> they're just like, don't call it spam anymore. They just call it our job title. And then he goes on to say that the irony of people's, you know, supposed desire to receive emails from their favorite company is more than half of consumers in the United States and Canada say they receive too much promotional email. So on one side, they're saying, this is exactly how I want to be communicated with. And then almost immediately they say, but I'm getting too much email. Right. <laughs> is that crazy? I understand that sentiment. The other thing too, um, that, uh, that these, these technology companies are doing, they're also not looking at your personal choices about your email. They're also now creating personas of people that open emails like you and are grouping you into that. Gmail aggregates behavior of all email users uh, when deciding which messages get through to your inbox and get moved to your promotional inbox instead of your spam folder, right? Based on what you're opening and what others like you are opening. That's kind of crazy to think about that. This all comes down to something you know pretty basic, which is if the content's good enough, I'll spend time with it. And that could be on a blog. It could be a YouTube video. It could be an email. And I think that's where you get into frequency, how it's done, the messaging, those types of things. It's interesting, too, because he, again, the author refers to marketers looking at this concept of an email and measuring all of the things around it as a golden path that they hope customers will follow. You send an email, they open it and click on it, and then they'll click through to your website and they convert. But we all know, just like with every every time we talk about customer journeys, read it doesn't work that way. Some people may receive an email, and instead of clicking on the email, may you know pick up the phone and call, or may go right to that place. So if we're sending an email on behalf of our health system, they just might call the business directly without even opening the email or clicking on the link in the email. I think that's right, and I think you know we've talked a lot that uh, to the years about podcast advertising, right? I mean, very very seldom I would assume is somebody riding in a car, here's an ad, and then there's really nothing to click on. I mean, there's stuff in show notes, and depending on the streaming service, you know, you can have some ads and stuff pop up. But for the most part, you just have to hope it's a brand awareness play. Where later on, then they so it's hard to tie some of that together. There are the people that, Chris, to your point, are going to get the email, click on it and go convert and buy something. Now, for me, that's typically something I'm already pretty interested in and would probably get around to doing anyway, right? It's just more of a prompt at that point. So like some of the some of the emails I get from some of the woodworking products I've bought over the years, you know, they send stuff and they're like, hey, this thing's now on sale or this, this tool is now on sale or whatever. That might would push me over the edge if it was something I was already kind of wanting. But anyway, it goes down this path of that email isn't, really a sign of, of what you want. It just represents the traces of what technology companies think you want. And that's where we've spent a lot of our time, certainly in the personalization or the drip marketing space over time, you know, over the last several years is because we're, it's not a one-to-one, it's, it's kind of that persona-based piece. He even makes a point here at the very end of this article. Again, this is written for people that are email recipients, right? But I think it's an interesting point to know if you're doing marketing. He says the best way to manage the situation that is your own inbox and all your promotional emails that you're getting might be to stop believing that it can be managed. Just as email marketers are too obsessed with incentives and the email service providers with deliverability, 
Perhaps email recipients are just too preoccupied with sense and relevance. Wow. Let that sit with you for a second. Yeah. <laughs> Why don't we uh, have all of us just kind of sit and think about that for a second. And then when we come back from our break, let's talk a little bit about making it more contextualized for us here in the health system. We'll talk a little bit about some performance benchmarks and then get to a great interview right after this brief pause. Coming soon from Greystone, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media, live from HCIC, a new podcast that brings you front row access to the latest innovative strategies that are shaping tomorrow's healthcare industry. In this 12-part series, as recorded live at the Healthcare Internet Conference, we'll hear from industry experts such as Paul Matson of the Cleveland Clinic, Kathy Smith of Roper St. Francis Healthcare, David Feinberg from Mount Sinai Health System, Rose Glenn from Michigan Medicine, and many others. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcasting platform. This podcast series is brought to you by Greystone.net, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media. All right, Chris, so let's, let's pivot a little bit. You know, we talked a little bit about certainly kind of the landscape uh, of email and email marketing and, you know, recipients and all that kind of fun stuff. I, I know you've, you've spent some time recently kind of thinking through what that outreach looks like in a healthcare setting, specifically a provider setting where we're reaching out for various reasons. And so maybe, maybe let's talk through that to kind of paint a picture of all the ways that we're using Eh, maybe not always, but, but the majority of the ways that we're using email within our organizations. Three major categories. And this really came from some work I've been doing where I started to audit the different types of ways we're emailing patients. And the intention here was to build some best practice and some guidelines for us to use. And, you know, when you look at the overall context of the way emails are being sent to patients, it's interesting that they weren't all, not all of them were alike. So there were three different general types of categories. Let's talk a little bit about what they could be and uh, see if they resonate with you. The first one is one that I started to characterize as patient correspondence. That is messaging between a provider and a patient regarding their specific care. Mm. Now think about that, right? A lot of that happens through the patient portal. Because the patient portal, you put a message in, but then that message in effect turns into an email that you're your portal sends to your to the patient, right? Or it could be sometimes they're using email systems, HIPAA certified emails, to communicate directly about specific care. You have to be very careful about that. And some of these things could be things that are very specific around, you know, like you're due for an appointment, you're due for this, whatever. But others are things that are a little bit different. Like your provider is retiring and here's another provider that's, that's coming up, you know, you've seen those, right? Yes. I mean, there's the, there's the communications piece of correspondence, which is like an appointment reminder, right? And then the provider piece is more like a care coordination kind of stuff, you know, or the relocation of a practice or, you know, whatever it may be. Or even let you lapse like an annual screening, right? And it's time for you to come back. Those are kind of more what I characterize as patient correspondence. The second thing that that you pointed out was you know moving from correspondence to just communications. We're still maybe going to patients, former patients, that kind of thing, but it's it's general topics of interest. You know, there are things like you know we've seen a lot of it again over the last year and a half. So things around uh, vaccines, visitor policies. 
uh, availability, like clinic type stuff, like flu shots, for example, or not somebody about their specific digital mammography or, you know, appointment or something like that, but just maybe there's a new location or a new service uh, or a new opportunity to sign up or, you know, something like that. Screenings, job fairs, you know, health clinics, things like that. And those are more like communications in nature, not really specifically tied to your specific care um, or tied to any kind of like personal health information, but something that might be of importance or of interest to you, right? And more and more organizations are, are getting into that kind of business. Just COVID really highlighted that, right? Uh, you know, sending out communications about uh, the Delta variant and how to stay safe. And I think many organizations are going to be sending out communications around the third booster shot, so to speak. And eligibility and all that other kind of fun stuff. But those are more just general communications. And then there's the last kind of segment, which is the ones that I know you and I have spent some time in, which is more marketing related or patient marketing, where we're targeting outreach to patients to promote specific services, availability of a new service, maybe cross-selling of hospital services, you know, um, like we're, we're even like trying to take persona characteristics about them and say, you have a high propensity or these people have a high propensity to be potentially eligible for this. So we're going to send them some information about the service. Yeah. It's even people, maybe they've signed up for, uh, you know, they'd like to know about advances in neurosciences or stroke care or something, right? Right. It's, it's more promotional in nature, you know, to your point. And so re-engaging people, so to speak, in a little bit of a different way. So and it's helpful to uh, characterize these emails in different categories like this, because then you can start to get into, well, what type of communication should it be? What are we going to be measuring as success? What are the right tools to be using to do this? Because some of them, you know, maybe you may want to restrict this kind of communication to just the portal as opposed to like an email platform or your CRM or your marketing automation. All of these things kind of le- lend itself to giving some context around what that email communication is. And then, of course, if you're going to be doing that, Reid, you want to get to understand what are some performance benchmarks, which kind of leads us to the last article that we're going to touch on a little bit here before we go into your interview. Along those lines, last article here is from 9clouds.com, like the number 9clouds.com. And it's uh, performance benchmarks for healthcare marketing emails. So it seems pretty much on on point there. And again, yeah, some of this. Uh, stay tuned for the interview. But yeah. <laughs> I think I think there th- this is interesting. Certainly, as you try to th- start thinking about, we did something, and then everybody goes, "Okay, cool. Was that was that good?" Or and again, you can trend your own data over time, and that's helpful. You know, because there may be things that are seasonal in nature. Or you could tie back to the fact that you talked about a certain topic, things like that. Um, but yeah, so let's let's go through a few of these these metrics. Yeah, these are high level four email metrics that'll give you some insight into just how well you're communicating with members on your email list, so to speak, right? Um, and again, these are high level to all the points that Reed said just before this, right? You want to build your own benchmarking. You want to be able to understand like even topical based, you know, there are certain ways that people respond to certain emails. Trust me, I know having done emails about the COVID vaccine, for example, you can imagine that that gets a certain type of reaction that maybe diabetic retinopathy emails don't, right? Just because of the topic, so to speak. Okay. So the first metric that they benchmarked is open rate for healthcare emails. So open rates, the industry average, and they get this from a variety of different sources, is 
So on average, when you send an email out from a healthcare organization, that's the benchmark that people can attract to about a little less than a, maybe a, f- a little bit more than a fifth of your emails are going to be opened. That's a metric much like website visitors, things like that. I don't know that it's terribly meaningful other than it, you know, you trend it over time. There's various reasons why everybody that opens the email may not be in that number, but we're, we're not going to go into that right now. The next thing points out is a click through rate. So obviously this is a big one. So, you know, People have opened the email. Hopefully, you've provided some kind, uh, you know, some sort of call to action in there that they can uh, then take. That click through rate is five uh, percent, you know, just or just wow. a touch over five point oh four percent. That's pretty consistent from what I've seen in my past as well. Yeah, uh, that's that's not bad, right? I mean, obviously, there are different ways that you can kind of focus on that on trying to improve your click through rate. I think we're all trying to do that, but five percent. So that's a good kind of benchmark. Uh, the fourth metric is unsubscribe rates. Those that have actively unsubscribed from your email. And that's a whopping 0.21% industry average. I have to say that, again, based on the topic, it may be completely different. Based on how you collect your emails, too. If they don't know sure. they're on an email list and suddenly they get an email, your unsubscribe rate may be a little bit higher initially. But on average, with a good, clean, healthy list... 0.21% of people will unsubscribe in every sending. Last thing that is really kind of two metrics in one here is, is around bounce rate. So you have hard hard bounce and a soft bounce. You have a hard bounce rate at uh, 0.5%. But really what that means is it, it's a permanent era, like it's not ever going to work. And so that happens a lot of times when somebody leaves an organization like maybe you have a bunch of people's like work email addresses, right? And they've moved on. And so that's no longer a valid email address. Could be that it got entered in correctly, either by you or the person signing up or something like that. But it's it's a hard bounce. A soft bounce, which is 0.63%, is a temporary technical problem. So again, the other one, that email address doesn't exist, basically. This one, it could be, Anything from like their inbox is full to, you know, the, their mail server is having some sort of an issue or, you know, whatever it may be. You know, small enough numbers, quite honestly, that, you know, you want to know that number, but it's not probably all that useful to look at unless you see a spike or something weird happens, you know, kind of a deal. I think what's interesting about all these numbers is we've talked on every episode about signing up for our weekly email. Our numbers aren't really aren't that different from what we just read off. Now, we'll tell you our open rate is higher. Click-through rate is maybe a hair higher. But again, we've got a small audience that's very specific. And so I think it just kind of goes back to one week, certain topics are going to resonate with our emails. One week, certain topics are going to resonate with folks. And they're going to click on that. Then the next week, it's like a different kind of subset of the group. Really find something that resonates. You've got people that are out of town for vacation, et cetera. And then you've got people that open every single one. And they've opened every single one since like day one, you know, kind of a deal. So it's just funny to kind of look at and segment, you know, your different different folks and why things are, are working or not working. Not bad at all. Not bad at all. But there is one other thing that potentially can uh, shift this dramatically. And that's that's something that you talked about in your interview, right, Reed? Absolutely. And I had a chance to sit down with Jonathan Inman from uh, Salesforce here recently. And there is some privacy changes that are happening specifically with Apple devices. And so he and I kind of dig into that. Uh, again, there is a Salesforce downloadable 
Uh, happy to get that for anybody. If you can't track it down on your own, we'll try to put a link to it in the show notes. That kind of goes through some of this, but we talk about what's changing, what you think about, what you should do. So we'll we'll take a brief pause here and then uh, be back with our expert from Salesforce. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. All right, welcome back to the Ask the Expert portion of the podcast. Today, I'm uh, excited to have uh, an expert from Salesforce, from our industry, uh, Jonathan Inman, man. Thanks for uh, coming on the show. It's been in a few minutes. Yeah, pleasure to be here. And you started by calling me names expert. That's, I'm in trouble already. <laughs> for those, I, I don't know that probably there's anybody listening that doesn't no Salesforce by name, certainly. They may or may not be a client or may not have really much experience, but maybe give everybody just a little bit of history of your time in the industry and then, then also kind of your role at Salesforce and that kind of thing. Yeah, sure thing. So for the last 15 to 20 years, I've been kicking around the healthcare industry. I always joke with folks that I didn't choose healthcare, it chose me. I worked for a small firm uh, doing marketing and web, and it was kind of early pioneer digital days when it comes to marketing, uh, and that was for life science companies, so a bunch of biotech and pharma companies trying to do deals together. We put on conferences for them, so I kind of cut my teeth in digital marketing back in the day, and uh, by the time I left that company, um, I didn't realize that at that point, I was an expert. I was kind of on the bleeding edge of marketing automation, lead nurturing, uh, you know, content marketing. So fast forward, I moved on from there. I spent a little bit of time at Kaiser Permanente in a few different roles in IT and in marketing. And then uh, I think folks think I'm just a healthcare guy. So ever since then, I haven't been able to kind of shake the healthcare label. <laughs> uh, I spent a little bit of time at Oracle. And then I've been at uh, Salesforce here for just about three years. Uh, and I manage our marketing cloud business in California, specifically for our healthcare vertical. Nice. Well, uh, you know, we're, we're talking a lot about email today and, and Chris and I have, you know, run through a number of, of, of elements, but I think one thing that jumped out to me, you, you sent me a piece that you guys had put together and certainly if anybody's interested in getting hold of this, this, uh, this piece of content, this thought leadership, uh, reach out to Jonathan or myself. I'm sure we can, we can get you the PDF document, but you sent me this piece about some of the changes that are coming via specifically Apple around privacy and email and, you know, th- those types of components and really how that's going to change. It, it, Chris and I have talked about third-party cookies here recently and kind of that whole advertising you know, component, but, but I don't know that we've thought a whole lot about email and, and privacy as it relates to email and some of those changes that are happening there. So I'd love, I think there's something in there, maybe you can help me here, but apparently we all like Apple products and, uh, and we get a lot of our email that way. So, so what, what is kind of changing there, I guess, just fundamentally, just kind of at a high level? to level set us. Yeah. So it, it uh, actually a pretty material change uh, to your point. A lot of folks like their 
Apple products and it all works really well together. So there's quite a few people who are using Apple's email client either on their phone or their computer to read, you know, either personal or corporate emails. It sounds like the numbers are around 40% of the market share are using an Apple email client. Um, and that probably equates to about 45% of of email opens for your brand. So it, it's a pretty good share of the of the market of email volumes going into an Apple inbox. And so they're they're changing some things with the new uh, OS and iOS updates, I guess, where uh, it's going to make it a little bit harder for us to determine if people are opening our emails. I mean, I, I know it's a little more complicated than that, but is is that a, a fair kind of initial assessment? But yeah, I would agree. That's the the biggest takeaway is it's going to be really difficult, basically impossible to track um, your open rate. Um, for a for an email that goes into an Apple inbox, um, but maybe a step back from that is this. You mentioned something in your initial question around first party data, third party cookies, all the change in, changes in advertising. We've all seen this coming. Started in Europe, privacy laws are getting more and more robust, and tech companies are start, starting to catch up because consumers feel um, you know a little bit overly targeted online. And so back to kind of a Salesforce perspective, and and part of the reason why I work for Salesforce and love this is like our values are trust and customer success. We don't have customer success unless there's trust between us and our customer, but also that's how we tell our customers to treat either their patients or members or customers as well. So we usually like tend to embrace anything around uh, privacy for, for consumers, but it does create it creates some hurdles for us as marketers to figure out, okay, how do we do what we did before, but we don't have all the same levers to pull. So in this regard, the biggest impact is is open, um, but opens can impact quite a few things as far as an email marketer's concerned. Yeah, I think let's talk about that because I think uh, this may be news to some folks potentially. Uh, maybe not. Maybe people saw some of this coming. And certainly I think it's only going to heighten as we think about privacy to your point. And just we we mentioned stuff at dinner and then all of a sudden we're getting Instagram ads and you know, stuff <laughs> like that. So I, I think people are starting to get uh, sufficiently freaked out about some of this stuff. And so privacy is becoming a bigger deal, right? And I really think email has had a little bit of resurgence in the last couple of years where we, we really kind of moved away from it when social became a big deal and we could advertise on social and everybody was like, man, everybody gets too many emails, quit email, you know. And and now we're seeing some really good transactions in, in kind of that acquisition phase through through email. Um, so now that we're having kind of this thing bleed in and say, okay, well, now we're going to have a harder time understanding what's working. So what what does that mean, right? And so, uh, you know, I'd love to, love to kind of think about that a little bit because I would assume open then just cascades down to you know, people clicking on things and some of those conversion metrics and stuff like that. Is that that fair? Yeah. And the good news is you're not going to be flying completely blind. So while you won't be able to see that, say, you know, 25% of, of people opened your your email on, you know, tips for managing diabetes or, you know, what, what, you know health, your health and wellness newsletter, you, you still can see clicks. Uh, any of those links that are in an email that uh, go out to a website, maybe you've tagged those with certain parameters so that you can see which campaign they're coming from. All that, all that data is still going to come through. You're just not going to see that initial open. 
Apple's going to blind you to it. So there's a, a lot of what we're recommending folks do is find creative ways to measure engagement. Open rate is a little bit of a, not a vanity metric, but if you're using open rate only to say, hey, our campaign was successful because we had you know 60% open rate, it doesn't really, you and I know that that engagement with consumers is multi-channel. And ultimately, we're trying to get them to think, feel, or do something based on what we're communicating to them. So there's other ways to to measure that engagement beyond it. I think that's really interesting. So maybe, maybe it's like it, this is a good opportunity to just reimagine and, or re-kind of think how we're measuring success, quite honestly, right? And so we, we've we always talked about, and Chris and I have talked about this on the show, but you know, there is something to a measurement as it relates to, uh, certainly on one end, you have ROI. And, and you can really only measure ROI one way, and that's a financial metric. If you if you're doing it, if you're really doing ROI, I'm not I'm not saying you can't decide something's a good idea or not, but it's you know it's did we make money? Did we save money? Like that's really the only way you're going to get to a true ROI number. Now on the other end, we do have a, a volume play, and not not patient volume, but like more the vanity stuff, right? Like how many website visits did we get? Yeah. And those aren't bad. I, I've just always said like those are probably better to trend over time. So it's not so much about the number itself. It's just is it going up? Is it going down? Is it seasonal? Are you be able to? Can you determine patterns? You know things like that uh, may help you choose time of day to send something or the time of year to talk about a certain type of you know topic or something like that. But what you're talking about is kind of in the middle, which I think makes a lot of sense, which is the engagement piece. So what does that look like? We've got an opportunity now to kind of reimagine our email success and kind of the way we measure and and really how we talk about value to the senior leadership or other people around the organization. So what what are some of these creative creative ideas or things you're seeing that would still work or maybe a good time to start trying some of these things? Some of this is in this PDF that I'll that we can put in the show notes, as you mentioned, uh, some of the detail. But th- there's ways to track ultimately what's more valuable than an email open, which is a consumer or a patient's engagement with the brand. And the way that I want to prove that to value is there's a reason I'm creating an email campaign. It's because I want to educate somebody on a service offering. I want them to get on the website and further investigate that. Maybe ultimately I'm trying to get them to go on and, and schedule uh, you know an appointment, right? So there's all kinds of digital breadcrumbs we can put out there and we can connect those all together. We, we, we tend to sell tools that do this. But the, the beauty is showing that experience and really that's where we're all trying to head. Like a- Apple sort of created this problem for us and Amazon and other industries that are further ahead where consumers are choosing brands, not just because they think I've got the best product and they want to buy my product, they actually choose brands that they enjoy doing business with, that the experience is superior than the folks across the street. So what I'm trying to measure is not an email campaign. I'm trying to measure how engaged is this person with my brand because they enjoy the communications I send, the website's easy to navigate. Um, When they called into the call center, all of that data of I opened this email and and clicked on this link and then I went to such and such website. The, the meaningful things are attached to that record so that that call center agent, you know, knows who they're talking to and what I'm interested in. Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think we, you know, everybody loves the, the word consumerism, but well, I think we have gotten to a place though, that people are willing to do a lot of stuff online. 
and I think before we were kind of left with like call a phone number, fill out a form. Uh, you know, there might be some sort of an email scenario outside of fill out a form, but we, you know, we were kind of left with those things that I, you know, and now we've got opportunities to schedule or hold your place in line or the call center or more of that kind of customer service mechanism. I think that's really interesting to start thinking about, well, how do we, how do we engage? And of course this gets into nurture campaigns and things like that. You know, how do you draw people down a path, which that's, that's a whole nother, a whole nother topic. But, um, you know, what, what else about kind of what, what's coming? Is there a timeline on this? I mean, what, what, what do people need to be thinking about as they're, as they're thinking about, okay, there's some, there's a shift here. H- how do I need to start reacting? Yeah, it looks like it's going to come up on us pretty quickly here. Um, traditionally, the, the iOS update is, is September. Um, so it looks like it's right around the corner for us. Some of the first things that we're recommending folks do with their email program is if you have a way to to create some cohorts of your list, look at um, some data to see, okay, what, what email inboxes are we sending to today and separate out the folks who are using Apple so that when you have open rates in the future, you can report separately on Apple inboxes versus um, everybody else because it's going to skew your numbers. They're going to be messed up. You're going to think your open rates a lot better or worse than it is because you've got a big black hole in it. So if you if you actually section those folks out, you can create a benchmark today so that in future when you're reporting, um, you can still have somewhat accurate reporting on on open rates. So that would be like an immediate step. Yeah, that's a great idea. Or I guess it's almost like false positives, right? Where you got a whole much more clicks, but you're not reporting all the opens. So you, you run the risk of having this giant click-through rate and you're like, oh my gosh, we're popular all of a sudden, you know, kind of a thing. So yeah, that's a great idea. Anything else people should do kind of right offhand? Is there, there any other kind of, as they think about campaigns that may be coming? Yeah. And this, this one's kind of more specific to Salesforce. There's other vendors that do this as well, but we've got some uh, capabilities that we call interactive email where there might be a form or some interactive elements that are in that actual email that again, Apple is not going to block those because they're not tracked by the email client. They're tracked by a server that, that Salesforce is managing. So if you've got any type of, of element in your email, even if that person doesn't click on a link that takes them out to a website, if they just interact with my interactive email, the form or the buttons that I put in there, again, that shows me that that person has opened that email and I can you know, use that type of information to fix my open rate um, and show the engagement I'm looking for. Very cool. Well, man, thanks for um, thanks for coming on and, and sharing a little bit. I know this is uh, you know, we're in a constantly evolving space as digital marketers, and um, this is just one of those. You know, where where uh, I think people are, are starting to spend a little more time on, on the email side of the equation, and so these are these are important things to keep in mind. So, um, man, if people want to track you down or get a hold of you, what's what's the best way to do that? Yeah, I'll, I'll just give you my email address. It's jinman at salesforce.com. Shoot me an email. Happy to send you along this info, but happy to talk about uh, marketing, communications, IT, healthcare at large. It's all fun and fascinating for me. So it's uh, great to be on. Well, man, thanks for coming on. And again, uh, really appreciate uh, your insights. Uh, and and we'll, we'll link to a lot of this in the show notes, like uh, LinkedIn and your email address and all that kind of fun stuff. So if anybody's got questions, feel free to reach out. And uh, man, thanks a lot for coming on and look forward to uh, having you back. 
Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. You bet. Thanks a lot, Reed. All right. And special thanks to uh, our good friends. I like saying we have good friends, right? Um, but our good friend and good friends over at Salesforce. But special thanks to Jonathan for coming on the show. Really appreciate his time, his effort energy of coming on and sharing some, some wisdom and some knowledge. So look forward to having him back on a uh, couple of plugs. Since we're talking about email, sign up for our email touchpoint.health. It's the TPS report it comes out every Monday. We talked about the fact that it has these articles in it. I did mention at the beginning of the show, but it's got a couple of links down at the bottom of just upcoming industry conferences and education. So it's a great way to kind of keep that stuff top of mind and uh, encourage you to sign up for those that work with your calendar. All right. Well, let's do uh, let's do a couple of um, recommendations before we wrap up the show. What uh, what do you have today, Chris? Reed, I'm going to make a recommendation. I just like I said, I recently went on a trip to Boston, and I got to try out a variety of different services in order to kind of get around. As you know, right now, rental cars are kind of a bit of a challenge to rent because mm, they're so expensive. Yeah. So I had to uh, find ways to to get around. And you know, this is not a recommendation for Lyft and Uber, which I use a lot, but this is a recommendation for a service that I used one day, and it was actually pretty well received and um, a little expensive. But compared to a rental car, I needed a day where I had a car and. And I rented a Zipcar. So oh. I'm going to make a little recommendation because it was really easy to do. Zipcar, as you know, in some municipalities, they have the ability where you can go rent a car for a day or for an hour, for a couple hours or whatever it may be. It was really easy. They have an app that lets you go up to the car. You uh, open up your app once you have it rented and you have the reservation reserved. It unlocks the car. The keys are in the car. You can you know, drive your car, etc. They have a gas card inside, so it refills with gas, and you don't pay for it at all. And it's just really convenient. And so for those of you who are looking for the need for a rental car and maybe it's just too expensive for you to do, you may want to consider wherever it's available taking a zip car. That's my recommendation. Well, there you go. Zip car. We had those in Austin. I remember seeing those around. Uh, I'm going to recommend an iPad app called Flow, and it's uh, by Moleskin, I believe. And uh, it's a note-taking kind of, I mean, just think about a blank page and a Moleskin, and you have all like pens and pencils and all that kind of stuff at your disposal. So if you've got an iPad and you've got an Apple Pencil, it's a really neat way to doodle slash take notes, things like that. You can export it as a PDF. So if you're in a meeting, you're doing some whiteboarding and you know you wanted to kind of follow along and kind of make these notes, then you can send them out to everybody. There's a lot of use cases. But yeah, Flow is free. Flow by by Moleskin. I know they've got some other you know planner apps and things like mm-hmm. that. But it's a, it's a neat one that you can download if you've got an Apple Pencil and and kind of try out and see if you like the idea of note taking by hand on an iPad. It's uh, it's a great one. Love it. That's a great, I actually may have downloaded that myself. So yeah. Awesome. Right. Well, another great episode in the books. Appreciate everybody for tuning in, for listening, rate, review, subscribe, wherever you happen to get your podcast. And we certainly appreciate it. Reach out to us, Twitter, LinkedIn, all that kind of fun stuff. For Chris Boyer, I'm Reed Smith, and we'll see you next week.
This has been a Touchpoint Media production. To learn more about this show and others like it, please visit us online at touchpoint.health.